Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the Master of Scaramonies, Matt. And and we I'm... are back with recording. Yeah, man. Take we are live too. Yeah, live and in person, <laughs> except not really. Except not in person. Nope. <sighs> live and from far away. Yeah, live from state international, almost international. <laughs> <laughs> Because Ohio is just so far away. Yeah, it's, I mean, it might as well be fucking California, Danny. We're going there today. Just not Florida with the hurricane. Oh, shit, yeah. I mean, hey, we did we predict it with fucking crawl or what? <laughs> I mean, we really might have. Mm. So, um, California, this is apologies in advance. Um, if birds start attacking you, that's our bad. Good. Like, you guys deserve it. You point. guys need a little bit of a, a wrath of God moment sometimes. Oh my god. Uh, so the birds. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock's the birds. Uh, so yeah, this is our first like big classic that we're covering, I feel like. Or like the classic of the classics. Yeah, and it's like we, we kind of did on the it. Podcast. We kind of did it on accident. Uh, I feel like yeah. we kind of just picked this one because it was like animals, right? Um, but Danny mm-hmm. did a lot of reading. Uh, so that's a that's a big thing. Uh, this clearly, like, this yeah, movie's this, a big this deal. This got me like invested. Yeah, like you, you did a lot of lore digging. I I did. Well, and part of that that I'll get into a little bit later was actually because one of my roommates here on contract tipped me off to something about one of our lead actors that I never knew about. And I ended up reading a whole couple bits of articles on it, and it was really fascinating. And what was it? So, um, Tippi Hedren, who was introduced in this movie, at, um, this was her first big acting moment, um, after the Vietnam War, she kind of revitalized um, the nail salon industry by teaching um, Vietnamese people how to do manicures and pedicures, and it reset how nail salons were run and ended up making it so nail... So, like, your average manicure and pedicure went from costing about $50 in the 70s to averaging around $20 in the 80s. She revitalized how they, like, charged for nail care. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. Like, I never would have expected that when I was just, th- when I was reading about the birds. Yes, yeah, that's But nuts. lo and behold, I learned about how a whole industry works. <laughs> Like, it's it's weird sometimes when horror movies are, like, historical touchstones, uh, where they've mm-hmm. got these, these people that are, like, so larger than life, and you have someone who just, like, this is what catapulted her to make many petties affordable for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the birds should be uh, protected. It should be some kind of, like federal site it should be like a, a protected piece of art like what what's what's that mean for it well yeah and like t- besides the fact that it's already a culturally significant movie that's in the library of congress yes um it's it's a huge movie this was um alfred hitchcock's last movie that was nominated for an oscar um specifically for best uh, special visual effects in that they had a shitload of birds yeah. and not all of them are real <laughs> No, no way. (laughs) 
Some are even just paper mache, which I think is funny. Yeah, that was um, kind of Because there are some scenes that they just had, like, two real birds just to kind of throw off the average viewer. To be like, oh, no, that's not all real. Wait, that one moved. <laughs> just to kind of fuck with your head. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so before we get too far into this movie itself, let's talk about the obvious elephant in the room. Alfred Hitchcock himself and all that he's done. Who's he, Danny? Film. So Alfred Hitchcock is probably, I'm going to go on record and say, the most famous film director, period. I think I'd go that far. Um, in case you're not recognizing the name off, off the bat, uh, he directed Rear Window, the original Psycho, Vertigo, North by Northwest... Obviously the bird, since we're talking about that today. Alfred Hitchcock was the god of cinema in 1960s, late 1950s. It was That wild. man could do no wrong. Yeah, it was like, it's kind of cool because we have a lot of fi- like film writers now, uh, like a screenwriters and directors now, uh, that are very much like Hitchcock's in their own right. But it was like, imagine when like that was the only person being that prolific like that was that must have been nuts every time a new movie would come yeah. out that he made well and he not only left things on the screen but he tried to make it so films would affect you after the fact and alfred hitchcock is the reason that we have film showtimes like we do these days how so back before before psycho um, every movie when it was playing in a movie theater would just be playing on a loop so that people could come in and they'd see until they had seen what they had already seen before and then they'd leave. With Psycho in particular, Alfred Hitchcock fought against the movie industry in order to make it so people wouldn't see the twist until he had planned for them to see it. So he made the theaters start having showtimes for when the movie would start. Damn. So when we say Alfred Hitchcock changed the industry for movies, we aren't kidding. Like, he has made movies into what they are today. Yeah. And the movie theater-going experience is what it is. It's so wild that we started this series with Jaws, which is just objectively a shark movie, but that, like, redefined the movie industry, too, because it invented summer blockbusters. Mm -hmm. And then we're just in the same series because it's also about animals talking about the birds, and it's made by the director that created showtimes yeah um and alfred hitchcock also really liked to fuck with his audiences um in the best way possible because um when the movie premiered in the uk um he had talked to the theater and had them set up external speakers so that while the people were leaving the movie they would hear bird screeching and like flapping of wings in order to just keep on terrifying these people as they left the theater. He's like an evil Walt Disney. (laughs) And ironically enough, they had to go to Disney in order to have some of their special effects made for this movie. Really? Because um, one of Walt Disney's studios was the only place in the country that knew how to use the technique he wanted to use in order to make the birds work. Interesting. Okay, I mean, because Disney, for the time, also is is due credit. I just wish they made a horror movie, because then we could talk about it. Um, but, like, yeah. back in the day, Disney would, like, really push the boundaries on, like, what was possible to make in film. 
And mm-hmm. in, that's why they, like, glommed on to, like, uh, Jim Henson later on, because he was doing the same thing with, like, fucking Muppets. And Alfred yeah. Hitchcock was like, I want to do that, but I want to do that to scare people in ways that they've never been scared before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, Alfred Hitchcock is... God, he's a genius. Yeah. Like, for instance, like, I know with this movie, like, there's markedly no music in it. Um, and mm-hmm. the guy that he worked with, Bernard Herman, who wrote the Psycho theme, uh, he was like, no, man, it'll be even more scary to people if there's no sound, if it's just quiet or if it's just, like, bird noises as people are, like, mm-hmm. getting attacked. Yeah. Well, and um, this movie even went against the grain for your average Alfred Hitchcock movie because it doesn't have a the end title screen because he wanted to leave the movie unended there's still the terror going on as these people finish out the movie which is interesting there because there is no end i have it on dvd and there is an alternate ending in the bonus features and holy shit is it awesome like <laughs> i was watching it cuz they have it like in like they have like Im- like still images of the script and then storyboard mm-hmm. like sketches and the descriptions of what's going on and as it's progressing, my, my jaw is just going lower and lower and lower. I'm like, holy shit, this is such a mm-hmm. cool ending. And it is a yeah. lot more of a finality than uh, the creeping mystery of the unknown, which is just what he was known for. But if he wanted to just go balls mm-hmm. to the wall, which I kind of wish he did, like full George Romero, he could have done this. And we'll talk about it later yeah. on. Yeah. Um. But yeah, before we get into the story itself, let's talk a little bit about our main cast. Um, led by uh, Tippi Hedren, who was uh, 33 years old in this movie, which introduced her. Um, however, they marketed her as being 28 because, sure. uh, they, because they were like, yeah, people are going to think 30 is too old to be starring in your first movie. So we're going to say you're 20. And then she didn't, like tell the public about it for like another 20 years and she was like yeah no i'm five years older than all of you have thought for the past decade and a half yeah um but uh tibby hedron is in this movie as melanie daniels you may also recognize her from uh, alfred hitchcock's other movie marnie um she was in the movie roar and she makes brief appearances as a voice actor in both the um, 90s batman the animated series and the 2000s batman the brave and the bold which i did not know and was a fun little tidbit to find out she's also in fucking birdemic (laughs) that's right oh birdemic uh, that really just tried to be this movie, but didn't have the character. No. Uh, I really like Tippi Hedren. Um, I kind of like in older movies when you have a woman that like probably could kill it as a modern actress now. Um, it's just kind of yeah. cool to see them in like another era. Because um, she's got a very distinctive voice that kind of doesn't match exactly how she looks. It's kind of more mm-hmm. stern, but it's a lot more... It just doesn't fit what, like, her vibe is supposed to be for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, she's, she's like, a scamp. She's supposed to be, like, this rich heiress uh, who just gets mm-hmm. in, uh, into all these shenanigans. Uh, but she's actually not. She's actually kind of cool, and she's got a good head on her shoulders. 
Um, yeah, she's and, actually kind of nurturing. Yeah, like I like her. I think she's a she's a pretty good uh, heroine for this, and especially for um, Alfred Hitchcock movies because he's known for his uh, female leads, um, but they're all very dynamic. And I think that it, her in here, Tippi Hedren's character is a lot more like I don't know, kind of modern, more relatable for something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, we also have uh, Rod Taylor playing Mitch Brenner. Oh man, uh, who you who you may recognize from more recent movies like Inglorious Bastards from what was that two thousand eight? Wait, who is he in Inglorious Bastards? Um, he oh, hold on, I had this written down and I forgot to write it back down. He was. I think of old people in Inglorious Bastards. I he plays Winston Churchill. Oh, <laughs> he's like literally in one scene. Yeah, he has literally one scene, yeah. but he's in a modern movie. Um, then if you're thinking back to the 60s, um, he was also in The Time Machine, and he was one of the voices in 101 Dalmatians. You know what? Which that I still love that movie. Dude, because he, dude, Rod Taylor has a big man voice. He's got a big man jawline, and he's got a very good commanding voice. He's a lawyer, goddammit. And he's got a really good tone for, like, listen here, I'm going to handle the situation, goddammit. Mm hmm. It's awesome. (laughs) Uh, We also have Jessica Tandy as Lydia Brenner, Mitch's mother, uh, who you may recognize from Fried Green Tomatoes. Battery's not included, and she was Daisy in Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, old that lady little movie Daisy. you might have heard of. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those uh, movies, but she is a good old lady in this one. Mm-hmm. It was a whole thing while I was watching this with the people I watched it with about how old she was supposed to be. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because because Mitch and Kathy are very different ages. Uh, so it's hard to place where Lydia as the two of their mom would be. I feel like it's, well, yeah, that was the thing. It's like Kathy is like 12 and I think Mitch mm-hmm. is supposed to be like m- mid twenties, but he's clearly at least 30. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like Lydia maybe was 50. I mean, we, we might have like mm-hmm. a Max von Sydow situation where she was like middle-aged, made to look a little bit older. And it's just hard to tell because... Some people are just good at looking old. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or, like, they just yeah. age well, so, it, like, it would be hard to tell where she was supposed mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Suzanne Pleshett as Annie Hayworth, the school mm. teacher, um, who is best known for either this movie or the Bob Newhart show. Um, but for in terms of more recent things, she was also one of the voice actors in Spirited Away and Lion King 2, Simba's mm. Pride, um, which is a slept-on Disney sequel, and I will die on that hill, because yeah. I loved that movie growing up. She's the fucking crazed psycho uh, lioness. Cause I recognize yeah. her voice very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, Annie in this movie seems like she fucks. Like, she was all, like, the look she was giving Mitch when he was talking to, to Melody. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. Oh, yeah. she She's definitely had her time with Mitch. And Dude, also, there's, like, uh, some Grace was convinced. <laughs> Grace was convinced that Annie was trying to hit on Melanie. Oh, no, oh. no. 
I don't know. I could kind of see it in that first scene I between the two of them. I think she was just sizing her up. I really think that's what I it think was. I I get that, but it had it. There were a couple diff, There were a couple moments. I'm just I'm just gonna put that out there. I mean, I think that's what's kind of <laughs> it cool goes away. The, but like the birds, for most of it, like it's it's kind of sexy. Like it's a little like flirtate. Like the movie is kind of like. This Ooh, whole movie drama. is a flirtation ship. Honestly, like, on, like my, my tagline for it was when when all you want is to playfully plank flirt your way into some dick, but you didn't count on a birdemic apocalypse. Because really, at the end of the day, <laughs> they were gonna fuck. Like, they were about oh, to. Yeah. And then that seagull bit her. Like, this movie mm-hmm. is brimming with, like, all of these characters are just, like, fucking each other with their eyes. Oh yeah, there's a lot of sexual tension in this movie. Yeah, from and then there's just birds to ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> and rounding out our main cast, we have Veronica Cartwright, who plays Kathy Brenner. Um, you may recognize her from the original Alien movie, um, the 1980s The Witches adaptation, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and um, she was in Scary Movie Two. At the beginning, she played uh, Reagan's mom <laughs> in the Exorcist parody. Yeah. It's great that she's, like, horror-adjacent, like, all the way through. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's our main cast. They're all great actors. They, they are. all put in truly great performances throughout this movie. Yeah, like, that's what's great about Hitchcock, because he's such a great director, that like even re- in the in the alternate ending, you can see his like notes for the camera shot. Like he has notes for the actors, and the way he describes like what they need to do, just by using like a, just a very flippant statement, like they look on hardly or something. They they just he knows exactly how to reach actors and to pick the ones that can mm-hmm. really like embody what he needs them to be. Yeah, because like there's hints of the mist in this. Like as the movie goes on later. And I'm like, Absolutely. Alfred Hitchcock was, like, picking that up fucking years before Frank Darabont mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Uh, and I do also want to point out one almost casting for this movie um, was that Hitchcock considered Cary Grant for the role of Mitch Brenner. Oh. Um, but he decided against using an expensive actor because he felt that the birds themselves and his name would be the big attractions to the movie. He didn't need a giant movie star to sell it. He said, fuck actors. I'm an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm really glad that uh, Rod Taylor was brought on because I do really like his performance. And I kind of like that he had a feud with a bird while they were filming. Is that okay? Because um, there was a couple times that it was like deliberately pecking at him. Like the crow, I think, right? Wasn't it that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the I think crow so. fucking hated him. So yeah, it was a bird named uh, Archine. Archine. Um, and it went out, out of its way to attack the actor even when the cameras weren't rolling. Yeah, what and, a bad um, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor said, and I quote... Every morning, if we were on the set together, he'd come over and bite me. Yeah. I hated him, and he hated me. And I just think that's so funny. What a bastard of a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so funny that one out of literally 3,200 birds that were trained for this movie, only one picked a fight with the actors. That's just how it works, because they're smart. Crows, like, just know. They just oh, like, yeah. mm, fuck you. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. But one more note I have about directing. Uh, mm-hmm. be- again, because Hitchcock is a great director, and this is one of his like later ones, There's a, it, it looks... Maybe it's just because it's Technicolor, but it's a surprisingly modern-looking, nuanced movie. Like, any time that there are character interactions, it, it doesn't feel like Psycho, where there's still a lot of, like, the like the big acting for the screen, the big suspenseful thriller acting, like, in Psycho. Mm-hmm. This doesn't really have that. It just has very real people, even for the 60s. Um, yeah. You know, like, it, it still felt like it could have been now. Like... Bodega Bay could easily be the town from my note you did last summer, like 50 years earlier, and it could still mm-hmm. kind of feel like relatable enough because Hitchcock didn't make the movie to like shock. He just made the movie to be like, dude, this is just some shit fucking up normal life. Yeah. Um. But yeah, let's get into this movie. Yeah, let's, man. Let's talk about this. In in your research, so, did you see that it was based on a story? Like someone wrote a book was. or something? I'm I'm actually really glad you brought that up. Yes, um, because the the story that this is br- this is based on is a really pessimistic horror story. Oh, whoa. Um, <laughs> it's in the original story, uh, which is also titled The Birds by uh, Daphne du Maurier, I believe is how you pronounce their name. Yeah. Um, in the story, uh, Nate Hawken, who's the protagonist, eventually realizes that he is the sole survivor of the birds attack or the bird attacks in Cornwall because it took place in England. Yeah. And Ooh. that he is unlikely to, su- to survive the next attack. So his final reaction is to smoke his last cigarette and just wait for his inevitable death. That's kind of badass. Right? Yeah, what the hell, and man? I- <laughs> That's cool as shit. And uh, the estate of uh, Daphne de Maurier actually were not thrilled that Alfred Hitchcock chose to change the location from England to California. California. And they were like, we made this English. And he said, I don't care. (laughs) I mean, this movie is very Californian. Like, oh, it it shows a lot of like, um, you know, like the nicer. I mean, exactly. I know what he did last summer. Like the like the upper coast of California mm-hmm. and it's gorgeous and it's extremely nice yeah. even even back then um, and mm-hmm. it just feels very comfy and very like where you go on vacation when you live like when you're rich and you live like down in like San Diego mm-hmm. yeah okay I think I think that's everything I wanted to touch on before yeah we get into this. Yeah, I'm ready. Because the go. other things I have here, I'll I'll touch on when we get to them. Oh yeah, yeah, Uh-oh. Danny, take it away, buddy. So yeah, we start this movie not where you would expect, but also exactly where you'd expect in a bird shop. Ha! Birds. Um, <laughs> and also, I'm sorry if you don't work at said bird shop, don't just start grabbing birds. It's hey, going to make a problem. I think you're getting in the way of what is obviously a very sexy, fun, flirtatious <laughs> bird shopping scene. And let me ask the questions I know the answers to, Miss Ma'am. Let me push your <laughs> buttons. Uh, I just did this because I saw you in court one time. 
I flexed on you and then left because I'm a lawyer and I'm a mover and shaker and I probably got a big dick and I kind of want you to see it. That's what's happening in this scene, Danny. I think you're missing I, that part. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I understand what's happening and I'm here for it because their flirtationship and their doomy eyes Ooh. are hardcore there. Dude, dude but it was hot. It was don't little... grab the bird. Ah, no, that was a show of, uh, of strength, you know? Danny? I guess. It's in mating, because they're, like, <laughs> clearly both into birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And it's, like, their um, dynamic as characters is really fun, because, like, his mom is not a fan of any hot ladies that are into her very chiseled, strapping son. Um, but it's clear that, like, he gets around, and, like, because he's a big... He's, oh, he's, yeah. He is too much man for Bodega Bay. You can quote me on that. And that's why he that's why he moved. That's my <laughs> conceptualization of him, first of all. But we also know that Melody kinda does too, and she's kind of a little bit mm-hmm. of a bad girl and maybe is like maybe too smart for her own state and is kind of bored with life. Kind of very Disney princessy, very Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And then they just come together yeah. and man, they wanna fuck each other. Mm-hmm. Well yeah, so Melanie meets this guy or re meets this guy at the bird shop. And he leaves without, essentially without saying goodbye, but having given her enough information as to what bird he sh- she should buy him and find him and give it to him. I need some so lovebirds, doll. Get me some lovebirds. So yeah, it's lovebirds. Yeah, buddy. It's lovebirds for his sister. Oh, um, he's single. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so... <laughs> Well, no, because that's that's how you have to slyly put in. Oh, it's not for a significant other; it's for my family. No, I'm not because married. I'm not with anyone. I'm yeah. single. And so she's like, "Okay, I have very little to go off of, so I need to find out this man's name, where he lives, and how I can get these birds to him." And so she starts talking to the shopkeeper, who just doesn't have the bird she came in for. Like she ordered a bird, and it's not there. Yeah, so, like, her entire day now just became about this man, this big hunk of meat. Mm -hmm. And I respect it, um, but, I mean, she clearly (laughs) wasn't doing anything better. Like, wealthy heiress Mm -hmm. not actually doing anything that important. Oh, yeah, she has the day off of work, so she might as well just go flaunt after this guy. Yeah, she's the daughter of a fucking newspaper mogul. She doesn't have work. She just doesn't, doesn't does things okay because that's why she could just leave to go to like northern california well yeah so she drives about two hours north off on the coast yeah beautiful drive to find out to go to the town he lives in and then he'll she'll find out more about where he lives yeah (laughs) which she also just leaves the birds in her car while she's running a bunch of errands trying to figure out more about this man well, she just also straight up leaves the... I mean, she does it in a very creepy, stalkery kind of way, but it's kind of fun, again, because it's cute and flirtatious. It's more fun. Mm-hmm. She just gets a, a boat to cut the distance across the river so that no one sees her coming to the house, because they live on the other side of the, of the bay, uh, which will be... Well, yeah, because she doesn't be want to drive up their main road. But living on the other side of the bay will be strategic later. Um, but she just leaves the birds... In the she like breaks into the house. She just leaves the birds inside yeah. the house and then she leaves. But it's like, man, it's kind of hot because then she's kind of sits and waits afterwards, see what he does. 
Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, sir, I can't get my boat to start. And then he, like, beats her. Cause, like, this is all cat and mouse games. Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, oh yeah. And they're gonna fuck. Unfortunately, that's when the first bird attacks. A seagull, like, just kind of bites her on the forehead. And it's like, ah, fuck. Well, yeah, it just kind of hits her. Yeah. Like, damn it. Okay, and now we have to deal with this seagull problem. Let me take it back to my house, ma'am. Um, mm-hmm. But the birds back there are fucking up, too. Chickens aren't eating. And the gulls start killing yeah. themselves running in the glass, just being real drunk. Uh, and also, while Melanie was out and about trying to get information on Mitch, and now his family, because she wanted to find out who to leave the letter for the birds for, she talks to Annie, the school teacher, who Ooh. definitely has a history with mm. Mitch. And, and Annie... There is no doubt in my mind that she implied that Mitch is a man whore. Oh, she uh, did, but she kind of liked it. She knows he she, gets around. Ooh, and she will, and she knows it because she did it. Yep, yeah. exactly. I I joked about this later on in my notes, but I was like, I am convinced that Mitch Brenner is the only reason there's a female population in Bodega Bay. Damn, that's a bold <laughs> statement. And dude, mom hates it. Oh, Lydia. she is Ooh. not about it. Well, so, I mean, Melody is is introduced to Mitch's whole family. He's got a younger si- sister, Kathy, who's like maybe 13 years old. The age difference there, mm-hmm. I think, is supposed to imply that he's, like, mid-twenties and just kind of visits home on the weekends. Because, yeah, he's a lawyer. Yeah, he's a lawyer So he's had to have gone San through Francisco. law school. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a big man now. He's a big-time lawyer. He's yeah. got things to do. He's got appointments. And he comes home every mm-hmm. weekend and probably just goes... He, it's like when you go back home after college and, like, you're kind of hot shit now and anyone that stayed is kind of like, hmm, let me get a piece of that lawyer right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly. In that sense, feels very Midnight Mass, too, for some reason, just because mm-hmm. I think of small fishing communities. Um, but, fair, fair. And then, but, I mean, we also know uh, Mitch and Kathy's mom, Lydia, who, again, is kind of age ambiguous, but her biggest fear is, like, letting go of Mitch. But she doesn't really do much beyond just kind of complain about women. Well, yeah, and, like, <laughs> Annie is the one who's like, yeah, Lydia's not afraid of losing her son, but she's afraid of being abandoned. And I'm like, that's kind of the same thing in her uh, in Lydia's eyes. And well, that's why yeah. she has such issues with all these girls coming around. Well, she's very concerned that she's going to lose Mitch because her husband died. So if Mitch yes. goes, she'll have no man in her life. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's just specific to Lydia. Um, she felt that, yeah. that that gave her some kind of structure. Um, but, uh, I mean, I kind of feel bad for her, especially because she goes through it a lot in this <laughs> She really does. However, I also want to point out that, um, again, I watched this with a couple other people, um, specifically with, uh, Grace and Aaron, who are two of my castmates here, um, and Grace was so convinced for the first half of this movie that Lydia was controlling the birds because anytime she got angry was when the birds would attack. Whoa. Like fire starter. And at first at first it works, but eventually the theory falls apart once Lydia herself starts getting attacked by birds. Yeah, like the scene where they all oh. just get fucking bombarded in the bird swarm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one's great. Um but yeah, that, that I mean the first time that the birds actually do attack though, it's uh at Kathy's birthday party, her surprise party that mm-hmm. she knows about, but that's when Mitch is like, 
gonna give her, he's gonna give Melody a talking to, man. He's gonna be like, oh, maybe we should make something official. We should do something about this. And Annie's there, and she's mm-hmm. like, mm. and it's like a legitimately <laughs> good tense dynamic of like a love triangle going on, like it just. And it's all disrupted by seagulls attacking the birthday party. And all the kids go screaming. They don't kill anybody, Well, before that happens... No, that one just has a couple injuries, a couple scratches. Yeah. Um, But the night before the party, which is when Melanie first has to stay in town, she stays with Annie because Annie has an extra room to rent. Um, And they start having a conversation when the door... Where there's a knock at the door... And they're like, oh, I wonder who could be knocking at this hour because it's late. It's just a dead seagull. Yeah, man, that's a fucking uh, on their doorstep. <laughs> um. So yeah, and then the next day is when this giant bird attack happens, and these birds hate balloons. Yeah, they are trying them. to pop balloons left and right, which I found out they they filmed by um, taping the birds' mouths shut. With a pin. Oh, shit. Um, like a push pin that would pop the balloons when they flew into it. Um, and Which was really dangerous, because if the birds can't open their mouths, yeah. um, they'll die. Right. So one and of them escaped, <laughs> and they had to chase down a bird for like half a day oh, in order to make sure it could live. Yeah, like, Luckily, they did. Back. Well, you they figured a fucking, it out, but... You strapped a metal spike to the front of its head. It could, like, God knows what's going to happen when it figures yeah, that out could, that. Yeah, that could hurt somebody. Yeah, dude, come on! It could actually peck out somebody's eyes. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad you mentioned that, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, because after the party, people are leaving. Um, there's another bird attack. This time, the birds are coming from inside the house. Dude, the birds swarm. they all come from the fucking... Yeah, a swarm comes in from the fireplace. It's and like, just... Cl- they claim the living room for themselves. It's like a bunch like, of bats. The rest of the family has to leave. Yeah, they, they gotta get the fuck out of there. Yeah, fuck that, man. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's like... They're trying to like control it. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, there's why are there so many birds? Why do they do this? Like, they're not, mm-hmm. you know, flying down there and then getting panicked because they're lost. They're getting down there and fucking attacking people. Exactly. And I mean, uh, speaking of getting and then, the eyes pecked out, I mean, that, they fucking kill people that way, man. These birds like go for the eyes. Like, they try to kill you. Well, yeah. The first dead body we see in this movie is after that day of attacks. Um, Lydia's off seeing, I think it was her relative. Yeah, I think it's her and brother or she's, something. And she sees him, and his eyes are straight up pecked out. Dude, dude, like, it, it is more oh. gore than I thought there would be in a 1963 movie. And the crime like, scene. It's bloody. Yeah, like she's walking into the house, and she's like, some shit is, is broken. Like, various things are disturbed. And then she just finds a bunch mm-hmm. of dead birds, like, smashed into windows, and then goes upstairs, and her the guy's fucking eyes are gone. And that whole scene's mm-hmm. fucking horrifying. And again, silent. There is no music. Yeah. It is just, like, horrible visuals. Yeah, there's nothing to hide from yeah. the visuals in this movie. Like, you are at the mercy of this movie, because there's no music to help you. No, yeah. But yeah, and even as the birds start to pop off like this over the first couple, like, day or so... Uh, it's still, like, an isolated incidence. Uh, and they always, mm-hmm. like, go back to a sense of normalcy. So it's these, like, intermittent spikes of violence 
long periods mm-hmm. of complete dormancy, and then they kind of accumulate in one spot, like a bunch of them show up, and then boom, they go. Yeah, and that's kind of it's like a storm. It's like a it's like a big natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like my favorite accumulation, fucking being the crows outside the school. <laughs> Oh my god. So yeah, Melanie and Lydia have a conversation where Lydia tells Melanie all about her tragic backstory with her husband being dead. Um, and then she's like, can you go get Kathy from school? I'd just feel better if she was home. Yeah. And Melanie goes to do this, and they're singing this song at school, which is too long. The song goes on for a little while, and you know it's too long, because a murder of crows congregate on the playground... While they're still singing this song. It goes from, like, 3 to 5 to 8 to, like, 40 to 50. (laughs) I say, it goes up to be nearly 80 birds on this playground. Those are all real, right? And then she... I think so, yeah. Oh, man. Um, And so Melanie goes inside and is like, hey, Annie, um, look out your window and we need to get the hell out of here. Shit. (laughs) Um, And so... Uh, Annie's just like, yeah, you're right, Melanie. Okay, kids, we're gonna have a fire drill. We're gonna go outside quietly and quickly, and we're just gonna kinda go. If you live nearby, you're gonna go straight home. Anybody else, we're gonna go to the firehouse. And so they start walking out, and the crows see dinner. And Mm. so they just start attacking. And these children are no longer quiet. They are screaming for their lives. Which, don't get me wrong, I would also scream if I was attacked by a shitload of crows. Um, but it's not a good time for these poor kids. And they're now traumatized bird experience. Yeah, they all become Jamie. Our friend Jamie who's been on the podcast before. <laughs> I genuinely think if Jamie ever watches this movie, it would give her a heart attack. She'd fucking, like, as a joke, I kind of thought in the early days that we would, like, have her watch this movie and then talk about it. But, like... No, it would make things worse because it's actually it really kind of horrifying. Yeah, and I'm not and like the of amount birds. of birds in this movie would would scare the shit out of her. Yeah, and they're literally doing they're all the things. Yeah, they're all doing the things that she thinks they're all gonna do to her. <laughs> mm-hmm. They had a master yeah. of birds on this movie, like a guy that like wrangled the birds. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about him, but like in, in your research, did you hear a lot about like how they trained these things? I didn't see a lot about it, but I but um, they did train um, a little over three thousand birds for it. Um, he Alfred Hitchcock revealed that the ravens were the cleverest, yeah, and Corbett's the seagulls were the most vicious that they uh, trained. Damn! And I'm just like, oh fuck. That yeah, man. Corvids not are really be fun smart to find out. Yeah, those are my favorite type of birds. They're the S tier birds. Uh, and they actually did create mechanical birds for this movie. They spent about two hundred thousand dollars making mechanical birds, but they ended up mostly using real birds because they were like, "This is just going to be easier." Yeah, and yeah. it's going to look better. It does. I think that it would have been. Like, even in the scenes where it's, like, close up of something, someone attacking, someone being attacked by a bird, it was just easier mm-hmm. to use the re- the real thing. Oh, yeah. And then just put fake blood on the hand and be like, this is actually gonna, isn't going to hurt at all. Mm-hmm. Didn't, but didn't someone, I mean, uh, we talked about, like, Rod Taylor getting bit, but, like, didn't anyone else get, like, bit kind of bad, or was, was it a problem? 
Um, Tippy Hedren was accidentally cut in the face by one, but it wasn't a bad cut or anything. There were a few minor injuries, but there was never anything big that happened during the movie, which is lucky. Yeah. Um, and as far as I know, all of the birds survived the entire um, process. Good. That's good. So there was there's no PETA on the movie's ass either. I don't, did PETA even exist um, back then? <laughs> I don't think so. But, uh, but you know what I mean. Uh, um, so then the movie starts to get kicked into high gear after the birds start getting more isolated attacks. But I wanted to talk about the this where the movie for me feels like it turns into the mist, uh, where we start, where the oh the when they're get, at the fucking at the diner, uh, yeah, restaurant, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the diner scene where everyone's like, wait, sh-, you know, like, you know, should they be like? You know, what should they be doing? Like the birds' attacks seem mm-hmm. to be like a coordinated effort. Um, yeah, the, I mean they're popping off. Like, get yourself guns, wipe them off the face of the earth. And I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. There's one person <laughs> talking about starting a war against the birds. But then it's there's like a, a bird expert lady <laughs> who's like, hey, this isn't how birds <coughs> are. Yeah, he's Why like, wipe off the face of the earth. People? And she's just like, foolish American capitalists. There's hundreds of billions of birds. If birds attacked, humans wouldn't even stand a chance. It's like, oh, dude. Oh, fuck. <laughs> then we have the mandatory drunk Irishman in town. Yeah, I to felt talk a little offended by that. his theory on mankind's <laughs> destruction. Felt a little offended by that, but I'll let it slide. <laughs> I mean, like, then, it was kind of fun to have him there. Well, then there's a mom that's like, you're scaring the children. My God. Yeah. And I'm like, dude. We got to talk about Birdemic out here. I was like, hey, you know what's going to scare your children more? When they're attacked by birds. Yeah, man. Which they happens about killed. two minutes later. Yeah, when they fucking set a gas station on fire. <laughs> yeah, so they dive bomb this gas station attendant. So he's accidentally pumping gas into the street. And it goes as far as to the parking lot about a block down the way yeah, where man. someone's just trying to light their cigarette yeah, and man. it creates a fire and giant car explosion. And then that's right when the birds like, also say go and then it becomes like a fucking zombie movie where everything is chaos and like cabbage mm-hmm. trucks are getting turned over and people are running around, birds are attacking everyone. Tippy Hedren gets... Melanie's stuck yeah, in a fucking telephone booth. Yeah, and it's smart because then people start dying all around her and she's like, oh, fuck, what happened? But also, being stuck in a telephone booth has to be one of the worst places to get stuck because you're surrounded until they're done. Well, like, and you're not fucking going she anywhere. almost got hit by a car, like, twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, after that per- after that period, after that initial, like, first huge... Like, that's where this movie becomes, like, less an animal attack movie and more like a zombie movie. Like, mm-hmm. it feels very Night of the Living Dead towards the end. Like, hunkering down in the house across the bay, it's a great idea. They start barricading the windows. It's very, like, early zombie film. Um, plus... Yeah, and they've seen that people they, they care about have died. Annie yeah. died yeah, saving Yeah, fucking Annie Kathy. died! I was so pissed! She dies in her own house um, trying to help out um, Kathy because they heard the explosion. Um, and, and actually, ironically she got enough, to death. 
uh, Annie or the actress who played Annie, Suzanne Plachette, um, was talking to Alfred Hitchcock and said it would look really cool if like her ear was all bloody when she died and it was like hanging off. So he sent her to the prop department mm-hmm. to like have that special effect made. But then when they were filming the scene itself, Hitchcock had uh, the actress facing away so that the audience never saw that oh, damn special it. effect. <laughs> and he, she was just like, that's part of his like delicious sense of humor. Yeah, he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, that for he sure, will for have sure. this made, but not be seen in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like it sharpens everybody's skill. Like everyone gets to contribute something, even if it doesn't actually exactly show up in the movie. <laughs> yeah, like if that helps you get into character for de- being a dead body, yeah, let's absolutely. Do it. Let's make this happen. It's kind of cool because uh, this movie is not extraordinarily gory. It's still like the 1960s. But, like, exactly. it, it, it stretches the limit of, like, implied gore. Like, again, like a zombie movie. Like, oh, this yeah. movie feels, like, almost like it could be on par with, like, a Bird Box in terms of, like, when you really think about it and if you were to actually shoot it in a more realistic sense, we have, have more technology or whatever, it's a fucking mm-hmm. brutal kill. Like, the fact that birds are attacking people, it's a brutal concept. And, again, with this alternate ending feels like that scene in Gremlins when everything is chaos and then five seconds later Mm -hmm. everything is silent because fucking everybody died. But it's like instead of Gremlins hiding the bodies, the bird's alternate ending was like birds were turned off like everywhere because that's like when they leave, which we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. Um, And the birds are just sitting there as everyone is like, people are dead with like shotguns in their hands with their eyes missing. People are like clawed and bloody everywhere. And I'm like, holy shit, man. Alfred Hitchcock mm. was like, nah, man, this movie can be bloody as fuck. It's fine. We have color now. Well, yeah. And um, Tippi Hedren, when she first saw the injury makeup that she had in the movie, she walked up to her makeup artist, said, pardon me, walked out of the trailer and threw up. Oh, because God. that was the most like gore she had seen working on a movie because this was back in an era where they didn't really show blood very much in movies. Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, so we have our protagonists, the Brenner family and Melanie, um, they are holed up at the Brenner household and they are just truly holed up. Like they have barred the windows, but that will not stop these goddamn birds who will decide to just no. break through windows and try to peck through a Dude, door. It's very much like zombies. Like, they just rip through wood like it ain't shit. And the sound, the whole mm-hmm. time, it's just like this incessant screech squawking. And it's yeah. horrifying. Like, there is a whole period of, like, at least ten minutes where all you hear is that. And the characters mm-hmm. are going through stuff, like, in muted dialogue because the sound is too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. when uh, when Mitch is going upstairs to like it, you know he sees that they're breaking in upstairs, um, and he's just putting shit up and he's just running around trying to like secure all of the barriers because there's like thousands mm-hmm. of tens of thousands of birds attacking the house. Yeah, and then they just like stop. And that's, well, yeah, like, and this movie quiet. is truly great at building suspense both during these attacks and in between each of the bird attacks. Because the, once the birds start attacking more with more frequency, you can't feel safe. No. At all. Because you don't know when the next one's going to come. Because it could literally be at any moment. 
Well, and it shows that they start to get really smart because, you know, once some time has passed and, you know, the initial assault has been is over and they've reinforced all the barricades, uh, Melanie goes upstairs um, and opens just a side room. And it's a room that the birds have torn a hole in the roof to get inside of. And it's full. And they were just waiting for someone to come in there so they could, like, isolate mm-hmm. them and kill them. And she barely yeah. escapes being pecked to death. Oh, yeah. She is fucked up. She is not going to make that. She's not doing so hot. And in that scene, uh. there's no chirping. There's no squawking. It was dead silent. Just fluttering of wings. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, and so Mitch has to try to get to the car, and the birds have just covered the entire house and yard. Yeah, they're just they sitting have there, man. Claimed the world. Yeah, they're just um, sitting and watching. And Mitch like tiptoes his way around these birds to get to the car, turns on the radio, and basically hears, "Hey, everything's fucked up, and Bodega Bay has been evacuated. The people who are left just need to kind of figure their shit out until the rest of the world figures it out." And he decides, mm, fuck that, we're leaving. Well, I mean, they have to, dude. Well, yeah, she Melanie needs fucking medical attention. Yeah, she has like a nervous she's, breakdown after almost getting bleeding killed. She's bleeding out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, when they filmed um, the scene where Melanie gets pecked, that scene itself took about a week to film. Really? Um, which Tippi Hedren said was one of the worst weeks of her life because of the physical and emotional tolls of filming the scene. Oh man. Um, that for a week after they finished it, uh, uh, Tippy Hedren was in the hospital with exhaustion while they filmed scenes that she wasn't in. Like that oh, had to have been just such a, such an emotional toll. Yeah, man. To be doing that for seven days straight. It's super... Like, we see it on screen for a few minutes, but to do that for a week is just exhausting. I think it's super commendable that all of these movies that we've done so far for, like, the Nature Nightmare movies, it's all Mm -hmm. about people overcoming the, like, sheer will of nature, but in the making of it, in order to put themselves in that part of the what was important was that they got to go through some of that themselves in their own way in rel- in obviously a very safe way, but you know, mm-hmm. they were able still to be like immersed in what it meant to be in their character. Like they had birds yeah. fucking thrown on them. Like I go back to um, the first swimmer in jaws who gets eaten, like pretty much actually being mm-hmm. attacked by a robot shark. Like all of these things, yeah. it's, it's pretty much like the actor feels like they're actually going through something, so their performance is just all the more better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and um, I love the little ominous ending we have for the end of this, where they just drive off into the distance of birds, um, which is one of the few driving sequences that does not use the very obvious 60s like background screen. Which yeah. I love in this movie because it kind of gives it that classical like heart. Yeah, it uh, does. Because they don't make them like they used to. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> because now they'll try to make it look real, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it really doesn't. Just shoot it on location. Um, just fucking shoot yeah, it on location. Who cares? It, it looks better. Just do it. Who gives a shit? Just fucking suck it up. Um, 
And one thing that I kind of really like about this movie is that they never really truly explain why the birds attack. No, I feel like the reason um, always kind of goes back to, like, it's just an extension of, like, birds are dumb. Because, like, they don't attack all the time, and there's whole periods of time where they just kind of sit and do nothing. Although, like, when uh, Mitch goes out to get to the car and the birds are sitting there, that is when the crow pecks mm-hmm. him. But, like, they only kind of fuck with you mm-hmm. if you come close to them. And it's kind of cute because they just kind of sit there unless you kind of fuck with them. And they're like, ah, get fucked. Get, go away. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, uh, but it Hitchcock just... did state in an interview that his rationale for why the birds attack, um, which for him it was that the birds in the movie are rising up against humans to punish them for taking nature for granted. Yeah, this movie did feel like it could have played on the like nature striking back angle. Like, they had that mm-hmm. whole bit when they talk about birds in the diner and just the, all the bird behavior that they demonstrated. They're like, it's kind of like the, the happening where it's like nature just yeah. decides, like, humans are a problem. Let's adapt to kill them. But it did mm-hmm. it in such a nature bird way, a way. Where, Yeah, I mean, but this in sense, it was such like in a bird way because, like, it only did it sometimes. And then they just stopped and stared at you. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, I've heard some people say that the ending is kind of disappointing just because they kind of drive away and, like, that's it. Um, but I don't think that's because it's bad. I think it's just because people want to know more. They want to have resolution. Um, I understand mm-hmm. that Hitchcock is like, yes, leave him with the unknown. But, like, he made a great story. People want to know how it ends. And luckily, exactly, there is an alternate ending. Mm-hmm. <sighs> is there an alternate ending? So from <laughs> what I was able to gather from the storyboard and the... Um, the screen, the the still images of the scripts, um, as they drive around the the bay, back into uh, Bodega Bay itself, the town. Um, as I described before, it's mm-hmm. just total carnage. Uh, people are, it's silent. There are birds just sitting everywhere. A bunch of people are dead. Everyone is like, "Holy fucking mm-hmm. shit!" Like in the car, they're terrified, and they're like, "Dude, we can't." Like, this is horrifying. So they just have to slowly work their way through until they get towards the main road. And they basically are like, okay, punch it. And they just floor it. And then all of the birds Mm -hmm. in, like, a big, huge cloud start trying to attack the car. And they rip off the, the, like, convertible top that he put up when they they went to escape. They rip Mm -hmm. that right off. And, like, they're clawing at uh, Melanie. They're clawing at Lydia. And they're like, oh, fuck. And they're just trying to go as fast as possible down the highway, like, into the clear sky area and just to outrun these birds who can't, like, keep up. And then, like, just they get further and further away. And they're like, all right, I think there's clear skies ahead. And then, like, it kind of more or less has a resolution. But it also has, Mm -hmm. like, the coolest scene in the movie, in my opinion, right before that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that alternate ending. You said it's on most of the DVDs of the movie. I'm. I take it. Yeah, it was in a uh, the DVD I had. It's a special feature. Yeah, it was a bonus materials. Um, for anyone who doesn't have a DVD of this movie, it's currently on Peacock. If you have that streaming service, because Lord knows everything's always on some streaming service or another. Yeah, usually. Um. But this one is definitely worth the watch. It's it moves, um, it, and it's a Hitchcock movie, so you know it's going to have good characters. It's going to have good suspense, and it's uh, 
It was so good. Yeah, well, I mean, stick around for the fucking steamy love triangle plot. Like, that was actually yeah. kind of entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it, it does have that, like, ro- romantic drama happening while this other thing is happening. Much like all of our other movies that we've kind of talked about in our Nature Nightmare series so far, there's always two different main plots happening. Yeah. And just one of them has a different antagonist than the right. other. <laughs> right, yeah. That's how it's been going, man, yeah. Um, what are your big thoughts? I, I mean, like, I don't want to just sit here and continue to praise Alfred Hitchcock, because I could do that for fucking forever. But um, I do think this is one of his greats in, in a with a man who has a bunch of grades, this is one that I will go back to and rewatch. Not the most, because that's going to be Psycho. I love Psycho. Mm. Yeah, I'm um, watching Psycho tomorrow. Yeah. But um, it's one that I will continue to go back to again and again, because I just... It's so good, and it's well-developed. And the, the fact that they were able to do everything without a score to guide you into what you should feel just says so much about how they wrote it to me. Absolutely does. Because a lot of modern movies will use their score to tell you how you f- should feel, whereas this just lets you feel how the story moves you, Yeah, which I always love. It's very cool in that way. Um, yeah, we've got one more core episode in our series here before we get into Spooktober. Um, Mm -hmm. Dan, if you have time, we got to talk about Beast. I've been I got to find a way to watch it now. Yeah. All right. We we might have to put it on hold if if we're not able to see it, which is totally fine. We've got a couple of bonus episodes coming next month. Uh, One big Mm -hmm. fat one. That's going to be so good to talk about. Oh fuck! <laughs> and I'll actually be the cap to a series we did a long time ago. Um, yeah. But next week, what are we doing, man? Next week we have the lovely Stephen, another Stephen King story, Pet Cemetery. That's true, man. Uh, you were telling me we might have a guest, perhaps. We might. I'm st- I'm trying to talk to him again soon to okay, hopefully okay, okay. air out all of our details. Okay. But okay. there's a good chance that we will have a special guest on next week. So yes. keep your eyes and ears ready for as we talk about Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. It'll be a perfect transition into Spooktober as opposed to Spooktember. Yes. Uh, and I'm very excited to get into the home stretch. We will probably have some other bonus episodes along the way as we uh, touch base about what's new and exciting that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see, if whenever you see anything, just let me know, and we'll uh, we'll have a bonus episode. Yeah, on it. and uh, sounds great. We'll go from there, man. I'm excited for Spooks Over, man. I'm really excited, man. All We've right. got some fun stuff in the pipeline. Follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at square horror podcast gmail dot com. I've always thought that that last scene in the birds when they're driving away, it's like this really nice like mm-hmm. shot. Uh, I really want that last shot of the car driving away amidst the swarm of birds to be a postcard that's like, Bodega Bay, it's for the birds. <laughs> and until next time, you stay spooky out there. <laughs> <laughs>